Any questions? Simon, any questions? Someone called Sally. <laughs> Sally, Sally. Do you have any? Uh, Tenajan is asking, do you have any questions tonight? No questions. Fuk Chong, any questions? In the course of developing the practice, sometimes our mindfulness is weak and our defilements seem to overwhelm us. Is there any other Dharma theme other than mindfulness that we can use to help us at this point? He says at those times when mindfulness is weak and one defilement or another is coming up very strongly, um, the quality you really need to rely on at that point is kanti, uh, patient endurance. Um, but of course, the very nature of the question implies you probably have some mindfulness and it's that mindfulness, even though it's very weak, it's a good starting point just to know, oh, at the moment I have a lot of lust or greed or at the moment I have anger. Even though you can't stop it coming up, it's taken over your mind, at least you have a little bit of awareness just to know that's where I'm at, that's what I've got. And then you, re you rely on your patience not to follow it, not to build it up, indulge it, not to act on it, but just bear with it in your mind as long as you don't have enough mindfulness to let it go yet until gradually the kilesa itself will also become weak you know, because it's impermanent thing. Uh, whatever mood you have, whether it's lust, whether it's anger, whether it's delusion of some sort, sooner or later that itself will start to fade from the mind. It will weaken down. And it's at that point where it starts to weaken that you can re-establish strong mindfulness. You've been kind of like half following it along. Um, you'll notice the point where it starts to fade from the mind. Then you re-establish strong, good mindfulness and it's at that point, say you've been caught into a, a mood of lust, where well, you might bring up the contemplation of the unattractiveness of the body at that point. And because that mood of lust has gradually faded, now you can review it with fresh mindfulness, strong mindfulness and wisdom at that point. Or if it was anger, you were very upset, very emotional about something. Now that that emotion has passed and faded from the mind, that is the time that you bring up mindfulness say of metta kindness compassion uh, again reviewing that past mood and then teaching your mind at that point using the, the the wholesome dhamma that you're bringing up with this new fresh mindfulness the important thing to do at those times when we do have a particular kilesa overwhelming the mind and it seems like there's nothing we can do about it other than just bear with it don't let your mind get caught into the desire for peace and say, oh, I wish it wasn't here. I wish I wasn't all stirred up like this. I wish I was peaceful. Because you're only adding to your suffering at that point and it will confuse you further and make it even harder to to practice this, this patience until the, the mood has passed away. You're just you know interfering with it as, it's, as it were. So the main thing is just practice patience, endurance, and as much mindfulness as you can. You just keep following along with that mood. Uh, you know you're that way, and then when it gradually fades from the mind, then you start practicing mindfulness again, re-establish mindfulness, and contemplate what's, what's past, and see if you can get some insight on it. How do we develop upeka when, when doing the four Brahma Viharas? 
the uh, four Brahma Viharas are skillful um, practices. They're really specifically what we call samatha meditation practices, and they have specific aims and help. Sometimes are used particularly for people with specific personality traits. So, for instance, the first uh, metta Brahma Vihara is the development of the the thought of or the object of loving kindness, loving friendliness as a meditation object, and is particularly uh, used by those who of the character the dosa jarita, the, the angry character. One develops this because it's developing the quality that they're obviously lacking. If one is tends towards negativity, aversion in one's outlook towards oneself and others, that means one's lacking metta. So one's developing metta to bring up uh, and balance one's outlook, one's attitude towards oneself and others. Uh, and the result is that the heart cools down so one achieves some peace and stability of samadhi. Um, karuna is compassion, it's that aspiration to help others to free them from suffering or free oneself from suffering or to help others avoid suffering or oneself avoid suffering um, and again it's a, it's a skillful quality one can direct the mind to bring up um, mudita is sympathetic joy or altruistic joy where one is developing a sense of sharing in the happiness, the success of others. So it's the direct opposite of the quality of um, envy or jealousy. Um, and it, it, again, it brings the mind to coolness and peace by uh, whenever one is aware of the uh, success, the goodness of others, the success, the happiness of others, one finds peace in that. So one's mind is brought to a sense of coolness and peace. Uh, the direct opposite, say, if one was stirred up with jealousy or envy. As far as Upeka goes, as a Brahma-Viharas, it's um, that sense of detached equanimity um, based on the understanding that uh, whatever happens to other people, it's that's the result of their individual karma. Uh, and one is not, in one's mind, adding on anything to that with one's attitude towards them. One isn't... Uh, getting caught up or adding on mentally to the, uh, say particularly to the suffering of other people um, so one might be aware that somebody has had some suffering bad things have happened to them one might be aware this is a, a result of their own uh, negative karmic creations they've been caught into greed anger or delusion in some way uh, that's come up has brought them suffering one might have the desire to help them and wish to help them. Uh, one might be successful in helping them, but sometimes one isn't successful in helping them. Uh, all of this one has to carry on with an attitude of equanimity, just accepting, well, this is their karma. Uh, one does maybe what one can, but the outcome, one has to be able to accept it, whether one can help successfully or it's beyond one's ability. One has to be able to be at peace with that so again it's that sense of equanimity based on an understanding of karma that brings the mind to coolness and in particular one isn't in any way making anything out of say the suffering of others one isn't making it worse or uh, seeking to harm them or look down on them if one sees other people suffering 
Uh, that wouldn't be opaque if one was to say, sort of, you know, look down at them and say, oh, they deserve it, or oh, they're just such a bad person, or whatever. It's this coolness of heart where it's just recognizing, well, this is the result of karma. Um, so as a practice in the Brahma Viharas, it's particularly a samatha practice in that sense, just bringing the mind to this sense of coolness where uh, it can accept calm, the, each individual's karma, one's own and one's others, with equanimity and a coolness. Um, upeka as an enlightenment factor, what we call upeka sambojanga, is based on particularly on insight into the nature of phenomena as an each dukkha anatta and it's in practice it's maintaining that mind state of mind place of mind in the middle where it's not caught into liking or disliking not caught into any kind of desires or preferences um, with these practice the brahma viharas they have the simile or the the contemplation just as an example say when you have metta karuna mudita upeka in the mind uh, developed well the attitude is one of a sense of um, seeing oneself and others all the much the same one doesn't have preferences in the mind one isn't attached or clinging to other people or oneself one sees everyone oneself and others all of us the same so for instance if uh, say a group of terrorists were to grab you and a few of your friends say five of you uh, take you all hostage and then they decided to kill one of the, um, you know, it would be that sense of absolutely the same whether they take you or they take one of the others the mind would have no preferences, it would have equanimity there um, that would be a good example of you know, equanimity at, at work in the Brahma Viharas Does that help? When practicing the four Brahma Viharas, do we do them separately or do they all arise together? Probably in practical terms, we all tend to develop the first one, metta, this is probably why it was put first in the order. We'll develop that first. Uh, it's very much sort of the, the heart of Buddhist practice, and especially in the beginning, one is just developing metta sense of kindness, friendliness towards oneself and others. And you can see in the practical development of the mind, the spiritual development of the mind, the more metta is developed, well, the other three Brahma Viharas will grow out of that very easily, very naturally. So say one is developing a friendly, positive outlook towards other people. Um, when they have success and happiness and good things happen, one immediately has a sense of sharing, wanting to share in that success, one is happy for them. Or if they have suffering, one will have a sense of concern for them that they're suffering and what can I do to help. So the other three will tend to grow out of metta. Um, but they, he said at the beginning, they can be practiced individually, obviously, as individual meditation techniques as well, but they'll tend to also support and grow out of each other. Uh, the question was how to practice with painful feelings that arise during our meditation when we're sitting, pain in the legs and so on. Tanajan said in the beginning uh, when our practice was still new and our level of mindfulness and other qualities are maybe still developing, uh, we just have to learn the right balance and if the Dukkha waiting or the painful feelings are just getting too much. Well, we have to use changing of posture to uh, 
uh, get by, uh, we move our legs, we stand up and so on. But as the practice continues and we do it more regularly, um, we'll find the level of mindfulness, the level of patient endurance, uh, the level of wisdom will come up. And you might find sometimes that you don't need to always just move when there's pain. One can start to invest, what we say, investigate pain, meaning when there's painful feelings arising, if they keep coming into consciousness bothering you, you keep turning your mindfulness to be mindful of the Vedana itself and to investigate by literally asking oneself questions about it. You know, where is it coming from? What's the source of this Vedana? Why is it here? Um, you can maybe bring up the contemplation, a dead person has no Vedana. Why is that? Um, because their consciousness and the body have separated. Uh, I have this waiting here. Why is that? Well, because the five candors they're still all intermingled. There's still attachment here. I'm still there's a, still a sense of attachment to this body. Therefore, when waiting arises, I feel pain and I attach to that pain. There's no real separation in any of that. No, not yet any wisdom in that. So, you keep investigating in different ways, contemplating it, and also one's patience uh, comes up and one might start to actually experience a sense of separation one can see the separation between the mind that knows the vaitana the body um, because in in essence these are all what we call elements elements and candors these are separate things parts of nature uh, that are individual of themselves they're not anything that um, you can say is a self and that sense of ownership comes through delusion so as we start investigating the sense of ownership and uh, identification with the pain starts to diminish now of course at first that might mean doesn't mean the vedana completely disappears it might mean at first that one can just sit there with uh, this insight developing and one can just sit longer with more pain and deal with more pain but sometimes it might actually mean that the, having contemplated and really seen it as, uh, say, an Icha Dukkha Anatta, the whole pain just disappears and actually one completely frees oneself from pain during the meditation. But what one, one will also experience is that, of course, say one might be trying very hard with mindfulness and developing wisdom during the meditation, and one, as one finishes, then one might find uh, the level of mindfulness and wisdom sort of drops a bit and then, oh, oh, that was a lot of pain and it all comes back and one back, back to square one, one has a sense of identification with it or not just physical pain of the body associated with sitting a long time sort of to do with uh, the interruption of the movement of the blood and oxygen around the body, that's where sort of pain often is coming from but other kinds of pain or discomfort could be, say, from uh, the weather, like feelings of coldness, feelings of heat. And one finds, sort of, as one finishes the meditation, suddenly what one could bear, because one was really practicing mindfulness and not giving in to the, the thoughts and the proliferation around them, that stops a bit. So one immediately says, oh, it's so cold, or oh, it's so hot, or oh, my leg hurts so much, and one's back to square one. Uh, so one just has to keep building up this ability to be mindful of the particular painful discomfort, um, the painful feeling or the discomfort. And over time, both one's endurance develops and also one's ability to be mindful of waiting 
in itself and investigate it to see it as something separate uh, from one the, the mind that's trained in mindfulness and wisdom one will develop that sense of separation more and one, one will be able to last longer and go for longer periods of practice like that there was a question um, when we finish our meditation session uh, should we spread metta as a sort of a conscious act at that point, say at the end of a meditation session, or sh should we or could we um, share the merits of our practice? Um, and is there a difference between spreading metta and sh dedicating merit? Uh, and say one is dedicating merit to somebody, does one think of their face or their name or whatever? And Tanajan answered that generally um, when one becomes peaceful and say particularly towards the end of a meditation then it is a good practice to we say spread metta. That's a very general practice where one is just um, directing the sense of peace, happiness that has arisen in the mind outwards to all beings. So it's a very general practice to all beings everywhere. Um, the practice of sharing merit or dedicating merit is specifically for the dead and one will tend to do it one can do it at that time as well say at the end of a practice a period of practice when one's feeling peaceful one might, might, might want to dedicate that to a person generally it's uh, our relatives friends relatives uh, who've died and one has to in one's mind somehow identify the person so it might be thinking of their face saying their name uh, thinking of that person in some way and it's as if inviting them to share in the goodness of one's practice at that time one is doing that uh, so it's a more specific thing um, and specifically for the dead can you share your merits with the living as well as with the dead it's it's really that practice of spreading metta. I was meditating once and I had a mental image come up of my friend with all sorts of grass and roots coming out of them at all the different sense doors. I think this has a Dharma meaning, but I'm not sure. Could you help explain what it maybe means? And you might say this is a sort of an image, a refined image of what's going on in the mind, uh, the way uh, the sense doors... Um, become a form, a, a doorway, a, a, a pathway for attachment to arise. But that's just a, an image giving you an example of, say, the refined process that's going on. One doesn't really have to concentrate on that or worry, concern oneself with that. What one has to look at is each sense contact that is arising, whether it's, say, one's seeing a form, one's hearing, one's smelling, uh, and the reaction and any particular craving and attachment arising from that. One just is mindful of that from moment to moment. And when one sees a kilesa forming based on some sense contact one's had, one contemplates to see that as an dukkha anatta, uh, to let go of that particular desire and attachment. And that will automatically be cutting off the very roots which stretch back to the or go back to the heart one doesn't have to worry about the heart or the roots being down there and this sort of refined 
kind of idea of, of the, the sense doorways, one leading to the other one, just goes to whatever sense contact is arising from moment to moment and one's job is to keep practicing mindfulness continuously to the point when the mind becomes firm in samadhi, becomes peaceful and then uh, one should have a good foundation to just keep contemplating anicca dukkha anatta and this will be cutting off um, the sense of self and the mental proliferation and the attachments that are forming uh, with each sense contact as it arises and if one keeps doing that, well, naturally it will reach a point where one has completely uprooted one defilement or another. It will keep uprooting completely and no longer just be sort of a temporary thing. <laughs> 